Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I'm here this afternoon with Mr. Paul Newsom, who needs no introduction to the podcast whatsoever. I think it's third. I think it's outing. my third outing. Your yeah. third outing, yes. Yeah, yeah. Except this time, I've, I've forced you into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Today, I wanted to have um, a conversation about something which is a very live issue for me right now. Um, one week post event. One week post event, and that is about the period after um, the period after a big event. Now, for me, that was swimming solo to Rotnest um, previous weekend, which is the big twenty k open swim. But it could be anything ranging from Ironman, marathon, climbing Everest, Tour de France, Tour de France. <laughs> Not that many people do. <laughs> and I think uh, uh, well, it's important. It's interesting you bring that up because I think it's important to scope out this discussion as well. In that, um, I think this is this is aimed very much at what I would call the everyday hero rather yeah, than sure. the professional athlete. Although you know, professional athletes may listen to this and go, "That applies to me too." And what I wanted to talk about was everyone talks about you know training and psychology and everything leading up to during training and into the event, but nobody ever talks about what happens in the intervening period afterwards and i think it's really important because for all the great work and the journey that you go on it can all get unpicked and unwind and wound if if you're not really cognizant of what's going on on the other side mm. you know i swam a solo in 2016 um and look i've got a small endurance background of doing you know, triathlon seven got to doing a 70.6 in england three. three even yeah <laughs> probably felt like six yeah, then, yeah. um you know i did very large bike rides from leicestershire to the south of england uh ran a marathon and all that and then came here in 2016 i, I swam a solo so you know last weekend was my second outing but in doing it you know, I've been able to see the 2016 journey in a lot more clarity mm. of what was going on and then what happened afterwards. Yes, yeah. And be a lot more cognizant of that. And I've also spotted some of that in some of the people around me who've mm. done similar things. And I just thought that it's important to have a conversation with it anyway, but particularly being a live issue for me. Yeah, yeah. And given your background in... I think you know one of my reflections on it as well is that people are actually I've only just noticed this in the last few years that people are actually asking me to train them up for a big event like that but then also put in a bit of a caveat for what happens after that period yes. so it's just like this you know people are actually starting to become a little bit more aware that they need to consider what happens after a big event they talk about you know the big event blues or the rottenest yeah. channel swim blues sort of thing the, the period of three or four weeks after the event and just being sort of prepared for that and what that mm. what that's going to entail basically so you know if i dial back i mean i've been coaching now for 20 years believe it or not and um i think 20 years ago nobody would have ever been speaking about what happens after a big event mainly because i mean back 20 years ago not that many people were doing these massive yeah. crazy events like you say the everyday hero or the the weekend warrior sort of thing you know the outreach and the availability of these big events has just got more and more and more in the last decade especially yeah. so it, it is a it is an issue that needs sort of uh, looking at and addressing and yeah i'm keen to uh, chat dive it out in. with you today and yeah. dive on in yeah because i think what I've noticed is 
everyone will recognize that you've done this level of training, you've had this great event, and then I think most people recognize that, yeah, particularly like Rottnest was on the Saturday, come Tuesday, Wednesday, it, it, it's fucking dark, right? <laughs> and it's depressive and it's like, what the fuck is yeah. what's going on? And on a top level, I think most people can recognize that you've been doing this exercise which produces this mass amount of adrenaline, yeah. cortisol, all sorts of other great stuff, and that now you're coming off it. And I get that, but to me there's a whole lot more. And, and maybe from my background in organizational psychology, I probably look deeper into it. Mm. But there, there just seems to be more going on. And my concern is that I think it's awesome that these large-scale events are more approachable and as we'll probably talk a bit later on there's no reason why you shouldn't do them this is not a conversation about why you shouldn't do it no it's no. about for me coming out of it with more ease and grace mm. and taking all of the great stuff that you've picked up along the way and then threading that into your everyday life because let's just recognize you know like the the period of time that from when you decide to do it to when you do it is mm. it's not a sustainable lifestyle no it's not no, it's not no. sustainable on your body no it's not sustainable on your emotions no it's not sustainable on your family and friends around you or give you a good you know plenty of iron man uh, divorcees out there for sure yeah you know? I, bet, I bet and we'll probably unpick some of that and you know they are amazing things i refer to them as impossible tasks because mm. the day you decide to do it, it the task is actually impossible to you on that day yeah sure and yeah. you have to layer up to meet the challenge yep. and, and do it. And and particularly with things like swimming to rottenness for me, um, there's been bigger things as well, mm. um, which we could go into, um, where I understood why I entered into it, but I didn't realize why I did it until well afterwards. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Because there were yeah. more things for me to unpack along the journey. Yeah, sure, yeah. That these things, these things face, but I just wanted to go, a bit, of deep, bit deeper because, like I said, there's a couple of things I've noticed and I want to chuck them out and see whether mm. they resonate with you and you've seen anywhere else. I think the first thing for me is, um, is this sense of identity that people get. Yeah. You know, particularly in 2016. I'm a Rollo swimmer. I'm, I, a, I'm a, a man. I'm I, a, I, yeah. Yeah. I, and it's the I am statement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you think about it, you know, you start, you commit to something and you're taking actions and then it doesn't take long because you're quite focused before you get a bit of feedback. Mm. Whether that feedback is, you know, your time's become a bit quicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start yeah. to feel a bit stronger. You look a bit better in the mirror. <laughs> um, you know, you start to feel better about yourself. You start to face some challenges and bear them down and, you know, you come, you come to your first red mist sessions and then you get comfortable with them and yeah, then you yeah, don't exactly. get comfortable with them. Yeah. Um, and, and all the time you're getting this feedback, this feedback, this feedback, this feedback. And then, you, then I find that the feedback starts to percolate into your stories. Mm. It becomes the thing you talk about a lot. Totally, yeah. You like to be in the group of other people that are doing it. Yep. You know, I've, over the last three to four to five months I've been in two solo WhatsApp groups. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's been amazing. Everyone's, what yeah, time yeah. we're swimming, where are we going? And I've made wonderful new friendships. Sure. You know, and spent awesome time with people. 
and I'll probably come back to that in a minute, but you're in this circle, and even those out of the circle are around you, like, you know, they spot the differences and stuff. And so it starts to give you this new sense of identity, mm. which then bleeds out into other parts of your life. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you achieve the thing, and now, you know, what is it? 13 days later, I am no longer yeah. a, 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 a solo swimmer. <laughs> I am no longer. That I am statement has departed. I think if anyone's listening to this right now and, and they are uh, you know, sat, in the, sat in the company of a triathlete or an open water swimmer or a marathon swimmer or somebody who just takes their sport very, very serious, they're probably just sat there nodding their head thinking, yeah, you don't want to get caught in a corner at a, at a Christmas party talking to yeah, a triathlete yeah. or an open water swimmer because it would just bore you to tears talking about it. But, you know, it does, I wouldn't say it goes as far as to say it does take over your life, but it, you know, it's the thing that you're focused on. And you mentioned there that you've only got, you know, to try and actually concentrate and focus on something for let's say nine months or 12 months or swimming the English Channel was like a three year project for me basically, yeah. you know? And um, I mean, that's a massive thing to consider, um, you know, staying focused for that length of time. I, I reckon my focus period and I, I get more and more certain of this every single time I train up for something big. I reckon it's 10 weeks. So I can do a 10 week block and then I almost need to factor in two weeks. And that, that won't be two weeks off, but it'll be two weeks of a, hey, you know, let your hair down a little bit and yeah. go and do what you need to do and stuff. So, you know, I think for programs going forwards, I mean, that doesn't necessarily fit the standard nine or 12 month build up for an event where you do three weeks on and one week easier and three weeks on and one week easier. Yeah, yeah. But it sort of recognizes a little bit more of that what can you actually focus on? How how long can you stay engaged for? Sort of thing, properly engaged for, and, and yeah. you know, I I think, I mean, maybe, obviously, I've got quite a bit of experience with doing a lot of these longer events, and even though I might not be at a, at a great state of fitness right now, I know that within ten weeks of dedicated focus training, I can get myself up to up to yeah. really quite a good level. Um, other people might take a little bit longer if their experience has not been as much, but the, the point of focus and um, and you know and where you get gain that identity from, I, I do, I feel it all the time myself. Like I, you start training, you decide that you're gonna do this event and on the first couple of days, it's like, okay, well get my routine sorted, get that, get that happening, get that schedule happening. And then you do, you start to notice these little gains and little wins of, ah, oh, I feel a bit better about that, I feel a bit better about myself. You know, I often mm. talk about the idea that it takes you six sessions, six swimming sessions to sort of like thoroughly get into the groove basically. But then from then onwards, you know, you're on a bit of a roll and mm. um, yeah, and definitely identity comes with that. It's yeah. like you then start telling everybody, you feel confident enough to tell everybody that you're actually training up for something, yep. which is a, a big step, you know, yes. like a you lot of people, you have to own it, you know, and I, I know a lot of people, funny enough, this time around for Rotten Solo Swim, who literally told me the week before that they were doing the solo swim. So they've been swimming within the squad and training in the sessions. You could say, <laughs> well, how, as a coach, how do you not know that those swimmers are doing it? And they've purposely said to me, I didn't want to tell you because, and I just wanted to, I'm doing it more low key this time around sort of thing. Yes. And, you know, and that's obviously that's to be, to be respected obviously, but um, I was quite, I was quite sort of shocked really that they, yeah. that they wouldn't have shared it with, you know, of, of all the people you think you could share the story help of you, along the or way. help along the way. It might, yeah. be, it might be the coach, but. Uh, I just think that there's something in that identity because identity as I've, as I've sort of worked out across, across the podcast is, you know, we all like to know who we are and we all think we've got a good handle on who we are, but our identity is quite a, a dynamic thing. You know, who I thought I was 10 years ago 
is a lot different to who I think I am today. So therefore it is changing and it mm. is evolving. And when you go and put something, such a big focus into it, that, that identity can be something that you're quite, quite proud of. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then when that bit of your identity is taken away, it's taken or, away. Or, or simply finishes. Or simply, fi yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just simply finishes and it, and it comes away. That can be quite existentially challenging. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just definitely. wondered if you had that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, um, I mean, I, when I think about some of the big events that I have done, when I finished the English Channel, all I just remember was being sore for a long time. Yeah. You know, like shoulders, not being able to lift, but I had a feeling of like accomplishment and, and release to some extent and just feeling a bit like, okay, I've done that thing that I've been building up for the last three years. And I was glad of a bit of recovery period. Yeah. I definitely didn't feel any sort of uh, post-English Channel blues after doing that yeah. one. Um, similarly, when I swam around Manhattan Island and was lucky to win that event, I I got home and felt like I was on top of the world for a long time. You know, yeah. I felt I felt really, really good about myself. And obviously, the, the result helped a lot about that, yeah. um, or a lot with that, I should say. But um, but it was only a few months after that that I then injured my back, and I went from being high as a kite to low, yeah. lower than low, basically. And um, so now you can't do the thing. Yeah, now that you can't do the thing that you are, you know, you wanted to. I, I almost wanted to. I mean, even in my signature at that point on my email, I had like Paul Newsom, Manhattan Island champion, yeah. 2013. So it was my identity, right? Yeah. And then, but then I'm. Then I'm telling people, well, I'm actually going in for surgery for my back now, and I'm going to be out of action for about six months, and I've still got that signature at the bottom of my thing, and I almost felt a bit like a phony, because they're yeah. hobbling around with this back problem. And, and, and I think that's, that's probably another bit, because there's like three main focus areas that I've landed on with this, and you probably just brought me into the, probably one of the second ones, is that there's something, there's something really cool about... So... When you agree to do it, you know, you commit to doing a solo, you know, or, or any event, right? So just where I say solo, you can climb Everest. Yeah, absolutely. You want. Yeah, yeah, marathon. But you it. know that, so I knew that on the last Saturday of February, I was going to have to stand at the beach at Cottesloe with this white cap on <laughs> and these goggles on my head. And at some point there was going to hoot it and I was going to have to stand there and look out this flotilla of boats but mainly this big expanse of water the conditions of which I wasn't sure was going to be and then swim to an island 20 kilometers away and when you have to consider that you there ain't no telling yourself stories bullshitty stories <laughs> or shortcutting or avoiding that's going to help you no and so as soon as you get through that quite quickly, um, you realize you have to do everything that's required. Yeah. You have to understand what is required and then go and do everything that's required. And at no point along the journey can you afford to let shitty stories start to grow. Yeah, yeah. That's going to take you away and you think, oh, well, you know, it'll probably be a good day, so I don't need to go out and crack the 10Ks out on a shitty southwesterly mm. day in training because it's not going to be like that. But it know? was. But it was, did. exactly, the end <laughs> it was. But I think, you know, and so for me, there is this fantastic, brutal honesty about undertaking these things, which means that you can't hide anywhere. You can't go and 
muck around the shadows, you can't tell yourself the shitty stories. No. You have to be totally present, totally on it, and totally based in the reality of what you're doing. And let's be honest, that's rare in life. You know, because we all like to tell ourselves stories to make our egos feel better Definitely, and this, yeah. that, and the other. And there's scope to do it because you never really get tested out. No. So you're not getting that blunter level of feedback. So there's a, there's a for me, there's a, a beautiful blunt honesty in undertaking these things. You know, on that day, I'm going to be found out if I haven't done the work. Yeah, yeah. And then all these people, you know, all yourself are going to go, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you haven't done it. And so... That itself can be awesome because you can get into that zone. But then, you know, like I said, outside of these contained environments, you know, you go into the workplace, people telling you shit about how great they are just to get a promotion when they're not really that great or haven't mm. done the work and everybody's caught a fish that's that big, that's only really <laughs> that big, you know, and there's all fucking stories left, right and center. Um, and so I think it's also after the event, it's easy to slip back and you just sort of alluded to it I think it's easy to slip back into storytelling mm. and so you could be the guy that you know had done the training or the girl done all the training faced the honesty of it all and then afterwards bang doesn't necessarily like I fucking over swimming for a while mm -hmm. or whatever or over training da 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 takes two or three months off and then the next time they come to the squad put their hand in the bag, they pull out the white cap and the goggle that's still got the sand on it, sand on it <laughs> from Rotnest, put it on and like, I'm the solo swimmer, yeah. get in, fuck your shoulders up, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and all of that. And I think that too is, it's quite, that too can, I found can be quite harsh. I mean, I'm somebody who, right, right from school playing rugby and, and being, in high-performing teams playing rugby and things like that, you know, the beauty of sport is you get like this immediate feedback, like I spoke to earlier on, but we don't necessarily get that immediate feedback so much in life. And so it can be brilliant to make, leave you, you know, have you completely present in life. But then once it's gone, where's that feedback coming from? How do I maintain as much presence in reality? How do I hold myself to account against something that, well, it's gone now mm, mm. and then do am i still living off that story yeah, and that yeah. piece of identity for a period of time you know you know i could have been down to as arbitrarily say you know 90 92 kilograms felt lost yeah. 10 or 12 kilograms um that you know looking good feeling good for you know and then i live off it yeah. for months and months and months and avoid the mirror and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, you've crept back to 105 yeah. kilograms <laughs> and those beers and Mackies didn't help no. since. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think, because certainly um, the last time I did it, I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to be, in 2015, made redundant. Mm. And so I had nothing else to worry about. Yeah, sure. So I could just yeah. train, 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 train. And it was yeah. amazing. So yeah. I had this identity. I was feeling good about myself. Um, yeah, and I was very present, super present, scarily present for some people. Yeah, right. Uh, and then all of a sudden it all seemed to... Mm. Just melt away. Mm. And I was lost. Yeah, I was yeah. lost for quite some time. Um, to Do the you think that would have been the same had you, had you been, had employment at that time? Like, would that have been well, a distraction? Well, having done it not? this time around, 
um, I still str I struggled with work. Yeah. Okay. And in the last week or so, I've just had this tidal wave of stuff that I've mm. put off come back to me. So. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that there's, you know, that there was something. There's something intoxicating. You know, you're changing stuff all the time. You're feeling really good. You're very present. And I think the other bit is that, you know, let, let's be honest, life can be a bit shitty at times mm. and it can be, you can struggle to find meaning in the world and you can struggle to find purpose in the world. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're in this, you create yourself a container yeah, that yeah. gives you meaning, gives you purpose. Definitely, yeah. And, and it is very life affirming. And you have the, you know, and like I said, the people you train with, they're present as well. So you're very connected, mm. connected with life, connected with what's happening. And you know, certainly with certain like Swinton Rottenness, you're very, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the ocean. So you're very present in the ocean mm. and you're spending time in your nervous system as well. Um, you know, cause you're spending hours in the ocean and we all know what's in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly you, here in these parts. Yeah, mm. and you, you get more and more used to that. Mm. That's not to say you don't, you know, I don't, I'm not worried about what's in there, but it doesn't worry me, worry mm. me. Yeah, it yeah. still worries me. And so you have all this amazing meaning and purpose and identity and presence. And then all of a sudden it's linked to this one thing and then yeah. it can be essentially challenging. And it's Definitely, been interesting yeah. to watch a couple of people who remain nameless, um, who did a solo last year, struggle with their FOMO this year. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I, every year I don't do it, I struggle with my FOMO, really, you know, I wish I was out there. I mean, this is the first time this, this year that I actually went over the day before with my kids and, you know, I was on the island waiting for everyone to, to come in and come over. And, you know, there's always that, that feeling of, what are those conditions actually going to be like and are they potentially better than any time that I've swum it in the past and yes. what that therefore mean that I could swim a really good time and, and these sort of things, you know, but mm. you just don't know that. But I mean, this year around, I I must admit, I just, my, my little boy was out fishing off the jetty and my little girl was just hanging around with me, just watching everybody come in and, and you know, we were waiting for Mish, my wife, to come in. She'd done the duo swim with a friend Carly and um, it was definitely a feeling of, of FOMO, but maybe not as strong as it has been in yeah. the past, you know, um, but um, you know, I think this whole thing really, when you when you look at it a bit more broadly, I think you know, I've there's countless stories of elite athletes who, when they retire, they just fall completely off the perch, you yeah. know, and um, in fact, I've actually interviewed quite a few of them on on my podcast, and. Um, it's not too dissimilar really, you know? I mean, it's, they all talk about this loss of identity and, you know, what am I now if I'm not so-and-so Olympic champion type mm. of thing, you know? And, um, and uh, it's, you know, it's very much, very much that. And I think, I was trying to think back a little bit earlier on when we first started chatting, I was thinking back to, okay, well, when I was racing in the UK as a, as a triathlete, you know, I was racing at a high level but apart from maybe going to like a world championships or, you know, in my case, went to the world student games as well. Um, those were like big events that you're preparing for, but they, as big as they seem on against a Windsor triathlon, for example, or, or whatever it, may, it might be, a Bournemouth Olympic distance triathlon sort of thing, 
they weren't because I was actually racing almost every single weekend there was never a really massive lead up to some one specific event where you put all your eggs in one basket and then this massive drop off yeah. So the sort of blues that we're talking about here, I never really ever experienced that mm. as an athlete when, when I was racing triathlon, when I was racing week in, week out. Um, it's only, I've only started to become cognizant of it um, in doing some of the longer challenging events that I've done myself where, you, where you know, your body's actually ready for a rest afterwards and that's why you then enter this sort of state of, of, of non, non-training, which sort of probably you know, enhances that feeling really of, 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 yeah. of, of a bit of loss by, uh, by cutting away the, the routine, the daily routine. And yeah, I, I think, um, and I think the same thing as well, like I mentioned it earlier on, you know, 10, 20 years ago, people weren't building up for these massive events like they are, not in their numbers that they're doing yes. now. So that's why I think it's a great conversation to be having because there's a yeah. lot of people who do build up for these. And, you know, like you alluded to earlier on, you don't have to be building up to a Rockness solo swim. It might be a, it might be your first Olympic distance triathlon or even a sprint triathlon, yeah. you know, but you're getting into it and you're building up and you haven't really, you know, sort of considered what's going to happen after that point. How do you then cope with yeah. what happens there thereafter? Yeah. yeah. And I think, like I said, this is not, Purpose of this, the purpose of this conversation is not to say, oh, we shouldn't do it. No, no, Fuck absolutely. Far right. Yeah, far enough. This is yeah, what life's, yeah, yeah, yeah. life's about. Totally, doing yeah, yeah. great things yeah. and making yourself proud and going, far out, look what I've done. And in, many, think, in many ways, just on that very specific point, it's not about saying that. And the, the people that, you, that I generally uh, perceive to not have issues with this, with this sort of thing are the ones who their solution to it is to not stop. <laughs> you know, so, yes. there, so there, there isn't like a... It, it, they don't stop after the big one. They keep going to the next one and stuff. And, you know, Barry Eves, who's 86 years of age. But then that's, that's age, kicking and, it down. Then. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, just it's like thinking, again, a bit more broadly about life in general. You know, Barry Eves, who swims in our squad, 86 years of age. Everyone, I always ask him, you know, what's his secret to, to, to his health and his fitness and stuff? You know, so he swims 5K with, with us three or four times a week at that age. And, uh, and he just says, very simply, his secret to longevity is don't stop. Don't stop, yeah. You know, and there's plenty of Rockness solo swimmers out there who I look at and they, every year they say, that's the last one, that's the last one. Yeah. And then the next year they're still back there <laughs> building up for Indeed. it and doing it. Yeah. You know? And it, maybe they, maybe by doing that, that is their, their sort of part of their coping mechanism for that. Indeed. That's interesting that, because like, I guess for me. They're looking for you, Bryn. Yeah. <laughs> Police helicopter. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess for me, the, uh, there is no desire to do one next year. Um, the, I'm very open to the fact there will be another one. Mm. Uh, in fact, I spent 40 minutes on the Sunday writing notes. Oh, did you? To, to future Bryn. Right, future Who will Bryn. do the third one. Yeah, yeah. Whenever he catches Ready the to feeling do to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it was all about the training and everything. Yep. And so it was always like closing it. Yeah, sure. And I think, and I think it, that itself was, was super helpful. Um, I think part of it is what I've done, particularly last week, was I actively celebrated it. Mm. And I think I actively grieved it. Right, okay, yeah. Because you are losing something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that's part of what I wanted to talk about. You are losing a sense of identity. You are losing a sense of purpose that is specific. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think because I recognized that I became a bit of a... So my solution, so my solution to the last one in 2016 was to swim more mm. and then my body just collapsed in yeah, on itself yeah. because I'd over specialized it swim more after the event 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I carried yeah. on swimming mm -hmm. uh, to a level of intensity. Um, I agreed to do a duo with Lucy mm. the following year. I was trained to that. And then, you know, I think I had to stop swimming 10 days before the event and then just yeah. rest up yeah, to do yeah. the event. And then that was it. I was like, I'm that's it, game it. over, yeah. Game yeah. over. So I think, also, I think that put it off by carrying on from an anatomical point of view, I think, I don't know whether that mm. stacks up because well, you had your back out. Yeah, that's right. Definitely so wasn't related to the swimming. Uh, funny enough, it was actually related more to the lack of swimming. So I think striking that balance is very, very mm. important. You know, it's like, okay, I'm saying here that 86-year-old Barry Eves continues on every single day doing it because he knows that if he stops, he's, he's going to fall into a hole. You know, those yeah. the perennial... Uh, rotten solo swimmers who just do it year in year out yeah. sort of thing you know they they're on that on that schedule and stuff and I think I found myself that if I stop training completely yeah I actually f physically actually feel really bad yes but equally I can see what you're saying there if you you know continue to push the um, push the envelope as it were yeah. or press the envelope however well, the phrase goes I guess interestingly for me this time around uh, I knew what had happened before mm. my body collapsed in um, I knew that I became quite grumpy I knew mm. that I had a big loss of sense of identity and I think last time there was very much me feeding something yeah, and yeah. this time I've made sure that this adventure fed something bigger than the adventure itself mm. and so um, you know, I, I became I was saying before I did a lot of strength and movement specific around making sure body integrity was good for swimming but now I'm doing a 10 week program to unwind that specialization. Yeah, right. yeah okay. And, mm. and unwind that and strengthen up areas that have been neglected yeah, yeah. and be a bit more delicate on areas that have been, you know, and I, I've fallen back in love with swimming again through doing this. Mm. And so, you know, it's not going to be 27, 30 kilometers a week. No, it's back to no, 10 no, to 12. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I'm very happy with. Yeah, yeah. But I think one of the things I did as well was, um, I took notes along the way yes. of the things that I was, the elements that I was enjoying. Yeah. So that there was like a bigger, broader practice. It's very insightful of you to do that. So, I mean, most people might keep a record of how many kilometers they swam. Oh, I did that day. too. You did, I'm sure you did. Yeah. I got a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, like everyone. I'm sure you have. Yeah. And I got a blue book as well where, yeah, yeah. where I thought more about what are some of the elements that mm. I'm really, really enjoying? Yeah, yeah. So that the fact that the container of the solo did the red mist sessions ever feature? Yeah, they do. They? They? Well, <laughs> they do. They do. Um, for for two reasons. One is um, the importance of putting yourself into dark spots. Mm. Um, dark spots meaning where you are physically challenged yeah and one of the things I love particularly about the red miss is that you specifically design them to put people into totally, yeah, yeah. remember that end of November session where I told you yeah there was a point there Paul where I never wanted to swim ever again I'm fucking, <laughs> fucking over this sport but I got to the end of session so I understand the importance of it of, of going to those dark spots mm. and that was one of the things that was in there but then also it was also the the importance of being in a squad yes and that yeah. community yeah yeah and doing going to the dark spots with your friends and then going for the coffees afterwards totally yeah and and the whole 
atmosphere around that. It's just like joy of having swimming in common, isn't it, with those yes. other people? Yeah, and, and having those connections as well. There were there were other things as well about the importance of of me doing some sort of cardiovascular exercise, you know, hour to hour and a half, mm. several times a week, because I sort of put that as some one side for a while. I always got to a place where I looked across my endurance career several years ago, and suddenly went. I think because I was in the pain of what the monotonous repetition movement does to your body mm. and, I, and I had to spend a year or so at places like Modus unwinding that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a part of me that was like, I'm never going back to that shit because mm. it, it does this to your body. And so this, so I went away from it for a year or so. So now being able to concentrate on the integrity of my body, I still would like it to work really well when I'm 80. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then layer on these things mm. like a Rottnest Channel swim. It was awesome. It means I could go do it, come back and not be bent out, physically bent up out of shape. But as well as contemplating identity and things like that means that I can, I, I can also not have that rough emotional ride mm. as well. But the, like I said, things like Red Mist are important because it is still good to go and put yourself in the mangle. Mm you know, routinely. Yeah, yeah. Why? I don't just, feel like I've done a just, good enough job, to be honest with you, as a coach, if, if you're not in the mangle on that particular <laughs> yeah. session, to, you know, yeah, to, yeah, use yeah. Your, to use your words. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason it's got that name, Red Mist, is, yeah. you know, it's designed to actually put you in, you mentioned there, like, to physically challenge yourself, but it also, hopefully, mentally and emotionally challenges you yeah. as well, you know, and the, by, by trying to stave off the Red Mist and not get snappy and irritable sort of thing and actually just say like I'm all right I'm, I'm here I can get through this I can do it I mean you go you go through those emotions hundreds of times on a bigger event yes you know like the rottenness swim and stuff like that so yeah and, and so now Wednesday mornings I know where I can go or on a once a week event where I can go to have that yeah being forced to be present that's right going to a dark spot yeah you might sound, might think I sound like a bit of a masochist. Saying, I mean, I design it for that purpose. Well, yeah, <laughs> and it's, uh, but it's. Um, but that's the you know, point. Yeah, that is the point. That you know, is that's the it. point. That's you know, it. that's its purpose. When I, and, yeah. when I was spending seven hours and forty-five minutes, mm. fifteen minutes longer than a working day on my trip to Rotterdam. Yeah, which was a lovely day out in nature. I described to someone the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there were dark spots along the way. Yeah, yeah. And it was the same thing. The body carried on while the mm. mind was doing its Wig, thing wigging out yeah yeah and yeah so you know but going back to it there are things like that in the list mm. in in the notes that i've taken you know and that you know meeting the environment and and adapting to the environment it made me become i think more aware of being in my body and the movement practice yeah yeah which means yeah and it, and it also meant that you know I, I don't want to swim to Rottnest again next year uh, for a variety of reasons. But, you know, I've just spent the last nine, ten months specialising in, mm. in a monotonous movement exercise. So now my body's, I've sort of got this point where, well, that's cool. And I've done that thing. And look, you know, on a bigger scale, if you apply yourself and layer yourself up, you can go and do it. Yep. So what other things can I do Yeah, yeah. now, which is exciting. So now I'm drawn to something that may have a lot more random movement and mm. maybe a hand-eye coordination. 
So maybe I'll go and play touch rugby for a while. Yeah, right. Or something like that. Be careful. Yeah. But touch rugby, not <laughs> yeah, yeah. 47 now. But, you know, it's, it, it's that. And it's, I think it's because I've been in the container and I was more present in it, not only connecting up the training to the event, but the training to the event and afterwards. I mean, so I've got this rich source of stuff that I can pull on. Totally, yeah. And I'm not also dealing with the existential drama of having lost this amazing sense of identity yeah, and self-worth yeah. in the world, which has been conditionally related, conditionally associated with swimming to rottenness. Yes. Which is now done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So here's a question for you, and this might might seem like I'm just blowing this all out, all the wind out of your sails. The perception of identity. I believe is very much your own perception of that identity and maybe Indeed. not the same you know if, if I asked the other six people who are swimming in the lane what do you think of Bryn yeah you know would all six of them say oh yeah Bryn's a Rottnest Shallow swimmer from 2016 and, and 2022 or would they say that's the guy who takes the beeper at the uh, in the session sort of thing and leads for the 400s for example you know yeah. and I think I think it's an interesting one because it, one of the reflections that I've had is where what causes me a lot of stress or has caused me a lot of stress in events in the past is all is always worrying about what maybe other people are thinking about how I'm performing at any given point mm. in time. Mm. So I'd be going along. I remember doing the European Duathlon Championships in Poland years and years ago, and. I was going along. I, I had I had some sort of weird. I don't know what it was, like a maybe I was dehydrated or something. But I didn't finish the event, and I actually remember just almost like almost like getting a bit sort of like uh, tripping out a little bit, imagining everybody who was actually on the sidelines were all sort of laughing at him, going, "Yeah, he's, he's doing." They weren't, of course. Yeah. But in my head, that's what I was. That's what I was actually telling yeah. myself. And and it's and it's a funny thing, really, because they, you know, my perception there was that they were thinking that this guy is, is failing and he's falling down whereas and of course it was me who was telling myself that and you know I've, I've gone through I've gone through other events and often wondered about okay where am I going to finish and what will my closest mates think about me if I yeah. finish in fifth place rather than first place or in yeah. five hours rather than four hours whatever it might be type of thing and the, the honest answer that I've had to that from sitting on the sidelines a lot more over the last few years specifically is that when you're watching something like a triathlon event as a spectator, unless you've got the stopwatch out and your spreadsheet and you're watching exactly <laughs> where everybody is and it, you've got absolutely no bloody no. idea where anybody is within yeah. that race whatsoever. Yeah. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think we often build up this sense of identity and perception of ourselves related to the event that we've maybe mm. been training up for and you know through comparing through to comparing others. to others you know yeah. and, and 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 also compare and also imagining what they might be thinking about okay it's going to be great if, if so and so and you know that's not to say that people don't go through a list of results at the end and go oh, okay Bryn did such and such but I was yeah, expecting yeah. this or or he yeah. did much better than I thought or, yeah. or what have you people do do that or so and so came ahead of yeah me. exactly I thought, yeah well, that, I didn't I didn't expect that one that's exactly <laughs> yeah, right yeah. that's exactly right but you know as the as, as one of my mates very fondly says and I'm going to swear here sort of thing, <laughs> he um, you know with respect to a lot of things you know everybody is so busy in their own 
lives and doing what they're doing yeah. and nobody really fucking cares like no. to be perfectly honest with no, you no 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 i think the biggest barrier to moving forwards after a big event is is obviously an internal barrier and it's just it is laying the groundwork like i, I think what you've done there and saying you know you, you're sort of um undoing some of their specification that's a great way of looking at it you know because it's, mm. like, it's sort of saying okay for the next 10 weeks that's what i'm going to that's what I'm going to focus on doing. But you need to, obviously, you need to have set that as a goal or a task before you finish the big one. Because I think if you yes. fall off the edge and then leave it two or three weeks and try and pick it up beyond that point, it's very, very difficult. And oh, yeah. I had um, my first solo swim was 2009. And literally six days later, Michelle, my wife, gave birth to Jackson, our son. So six days after the event. So you can only imagine how nervous both yeah. me and her were leading up to the event, thinking, yeah. okay, well, if he comes early, uh, or he or she, we didn't know at that point, but he, if, if the baby comes early, then, you know, it's that done. nine months of training is done and I'm just gonna have to, I'm just gonna have to deal with it. So I think in my head, I was even at that point starting to think, okay, well, I really enjoyed the, the journey building up and training for this mm. event. But, you know, I think had I not been able to complete my first one, uh, it would have been a big thorn in the side sort of thing. So it'd be like, yeah. okay, you know, I just wanted to know what that experience was like. But the point was that we, I had those couple of days immediately after, and of course, Michelle was heavily, heavily pregnant. Um, she actually came down to a CSS Fresh and Fruity threshold session on the morning she gave birth to Jackson. Right. <laughs> and she was swimming, you know, she, she swam all the way through her pregnancy. But of course, six days later, then suddenly I was thrust into a world of having my first child and, yeah. and like my world changed completely. And I had to sort of respond to that. And suddenly the the high of the week beforehand was replaced with the high of having yeah. having a baby, you know, when having, that, having where it seems like yeah, it's, it's such a small totally thing. Totally like, such a massive thing, exactly yeah. right. Um, and I do you know, funny enough, I actually just sort of in that scenario, I almost just forgot about the solo swim yeah. because it just it just paled into totally. insignificance in, in comparison, and um, yeah, and I, I didn't really I didn't mourn for it or anything like that because I was obviously excited yeah, yeah. about what was what was going on around me really, and um, I feel like that sometimes regarding injury as well. It's like if, it's, this is almost the exact same thing when you. When you train up for a big event, you get hyper-focused on it because you have to, like you say, you don't know if it's going to be a southwesterly blowing at a 25 knot sort of thing and you're going to be in the water for 10 hours rather than six like you thought you might be. You've got to focus and you've got to put in the time and the commitment to it. So focus and purpose is not, it's not a bad thing. We're not saying it's a bad no. thing. But on the flip side of it, I find I do the same sort of thing with injury. So when mm. you get injured, suddenly all the focus comes on not being injured. You know, how do I not yeah. be injured? The outcome there is not getting across to Rotness, the outcome is how do I stop being injured? And I get hyper-focused on that. And funny enough, they, the only time the injury ever seemed to truly go away is when I get distracted by something else and, and yeah. then onto a different, a different focus point. Mm. You know? So I think obviously through life we go jump around these different focal points and stuff and um, you know, finding something to replace what was just gone is probably the best, yeah. the best solution really to, yeah. to move forward with that. Yeah. Indeed. But possibly that has a variation to it so you can continue to develop. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Listen to that, Bryn. One of the first aeroplanes flying into Perth, Western Australia after two years. I know. They're all two weeks late. They could have swam. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I mean, I think that covers most of the things I wanted to talk about. Do you think there's anything else to add to it? Um, like I said, it's not, 
I wasn't expecting to come to a massive crescendo. No. Like, therefore, you should do. Mm. Um, maybe, if anything, it's a something to consider. Mm. Um, you know, and I think if you, I mean, your experience now with having done a lot of these events and, um, you know, it's your second solo swim and you start to, and you're obviously a very thoughtful guy um, thinking, you know, thinking to this level of depth. You know, some people probably been listening to this and think, gee, do Paul and Bryn actually have a life outside of thinking yeah. about, about their training and racing and stuff yeah. like that? And the answer is yes, of course yeah, we very, do. Very, much very so. much so, yeah. But but I think, you know, if you are a um, an inexperienced athlete and you are maybe training up for, whether it be your first solo swim or your first triathlon or your first marathon or what have you, you know, there's definitely no rule book or, um, training program that I certainly that I've seen that talks about what happens after yeah you know and and I think it's a it's an important thing you know maybe there are a lot of as we mentioned before mass participation in some of these massive events has only been on the increase in the last 10 years mm. and the types of people who are doing these events now are very different to what we were doing 20 years ago you know, I was considered a total freak at school yeah. for doing triathlon like total freak I was the only kid in school who swam. I was then the only kid in school who, you know, went for a run at his lunch breaks and then went cycling in the evening and that type of thing. You know, it was like it was it was unheard of. Whereas nowadays, that participation, you know, like every other person you speak to is a triathlete or yes. has done some or made in some around these parts has done event. some done some sort of endurance event. And and I think, you know, I think that's a it, obviously that's a great thing for this for all sports in general yeah. that bigger participation, and it might well be that the the nerdy among us, um, the people who have been around the traps for a long time who do think about some of this stuff and potentially even overthink it sometimes, maybe maybe your um, your weekend warrior who decides to do his first try his or her first triathlon, you know maybe the natural response is. They don't hit this big drop off afterwards. They just move on to the next thing, the next part yeah. of their life. You know, it's a natural thing. It's like, oh, I've done that triathlon, and they're quite happy to then move on to it. I think where you get in trouble or in danger is that the classic thing, and they reckon there's a little factoid of information for you. They reckon the average lifespan of a triathlete, and I'm saying triathlete here because simply I know this fact for, um, from the governing bodies and stuff. It might well be true for marathon swimmers as well or marathon runners. They reckon the average lifespan for a triathlete these days is two and a half years. Right. And that's not their actual lifespan, of course. Triathlon doesn't kill you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. that, not yeah. that we know of, anyway. Um, but the idea, they, they actually recognise that, okay, getting into sports, you know, it's a fun idea, you know, getting with your mates and you do your first sprint or uh, Olympic distance triathlon. Or you might even go over the full mountain. Because I see that a lot more these days as well. It's like, in the past, it always used to be this progression. It'd be like, you had to almost earn your stripes. You go sprint distance, Olympic distance, half Ironman, full Ironman. It was always yeah. that progression, always. Or you just stuck at doing Olympic distance and representing your country or whatever it might be. Yeah. But these days, you do see a lot more people just going, bang, I'm gonna be an Ironman straight away. That's yeah. where I'm going. And then the classic, and the reason they reckon it's like a two year cycle sort of thing is, you'll do your Ironman and you'll think, wow, that was great. You'll have your little bit of down period, and then the classic scenario is, I want to be better next time. You know, so then you build up again with the assumption and the hope that the, not just your speed and your achievement and your performance and where you finish in the race is going to be better than the first time, but the actual experience of the training 
is going to be more joyful as well. Yes. Very, very rarely do I ever hear anyone say their first Ironman, they're training for the first Ironman, okay, was less enjoyable than their than their second one. The second one, it usually becomes a little bit more, becomes a little bit more serious and a little bit more focused mm. and stuff like that. And there's almost this pressure that people put on themselves mm. to to achieve better. Most people that I speak to, and I, I, I certainly feel this myself, your first is always your. Your best. Your best. Yeah. You know, not necessarily. I know a lot of people wise. say, oh, you're going to do your second solo. Yeah. My second one was shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like, I didn't enjoy it. I think maybe for me, because it's been six years, yeah, yeah. because I let go of swimming. Totally. And, yeah, yeah. and I didn't see a second one ever again on the horizon. Yeah. And then it came back for a variety of reasons, you know, COVID going to the start line and catching FOMO, having yeah, been to yeah, the start yeah. line for two years and had no FOMO in the slightest. That's right, yeah. And a, and a couple of things like that um, meant that it was, it was as exciting as the first yeah. one. But I think I, I didn't follow that route. Mm. Um, and yeah, there was a little bit of comparing to the first one. And yeah, there suddenly, always is. Then I suddenly realised oh, yeah, I've yeah. got to stop this. It's, it's inevitable. I mean, I, personally, I'd never go back and do the English Channel. People ask me that all the time. You know, yeah, would yeah. you go back and swim the English Channel? And apart from it being a massively costly expense, a, a costly exercise uh, to train up and put yourself in there for three years and cost of the thing going across, yeah. I feel like I have ticked that box. Box, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't really, you know, I mean. I'm not happy with the time that I did across there. I'm not happy with the conditions that I swam in, sort of thing. But I made it, and I ticked, and I ticked the box. I'd never go back and wouldn't consider doing that that one again. And and that's totally, um, you know, it's, it's totally fine. You know, that's it, totally it, cool. it's totally fine. It's not going to stop me doing other marathon swimming events and yeah, and that type of thing. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, for anybody who's listened to this, hopefully there's tons and tons in there for you to think about. Like I said, I don't think there's one specific thing other than consider it and consider what we've discussed. And and yeah, because I think if you can be, if you could, like I said, if you can leave this thing with a lot more ease and grace and pick up all of the nuggets that you've picked up along the way Mm. and take them into everyday life as you come back to level of homeostasis or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely a, I mean, it's, it's a cliche that's used far too often probably, but, you know, it's not about the destination, it's the journey, man. Yeah. You know, but but it, it, it is, is actually the truth. Like, it, it is. is actually the truth, you know, and, and I think, you know, after you've completed one destination, go on another journey. And I, I was thinking just back then, you know, the, the English Channel thing, I wouldn't go back and do that. Similarly, I've, I've been really hesitant. Michelle's wanted me to take her back to India and go and do uh, India and Nepal, go trekking, backpacking and, and stuff. And I've got such vividly strong, fond memories of that place that I almost don't want to taint that. Yeah. You know? And it wouldn't, it'd just be different, right? It wouldn't be yeah. better or worse. It'd just be different, you know? Um, but we've, I've, I've held off going there and in a similar sort of way that I've held off you know, doing the English mm. Channel. So, you know, it might not be India, but... South America, maybe. You know, now the borders are opening up. And it's good fun, though. Oh, yeah, I know. Indeed. Paul, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, sir. Cheers. Great chain. Indeed.